in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. I'm honored to be here this evening. Thank you for this invitation to come, preacher, this opportunity to stand where you serve the Lord week in and week out. Uh, Do not take that lightly. Can I say very quickly, uh, first of all, what a beautiful place the Lord's given you to worship. And I love worshiping the Lord, don't you? Second of all, can I say thank you to Concord Baptist Church. I know you don't know me and, and I don't know you, but your ministry reaches out and is a blessing to so many. Preacher will never know, and I do know Brother McKeon. We support him at our church. But the Strength and that Things That Remain podcast has been such a help to preachers like me. And so that's just, that's just your church reaching out and being such a blessing and the track ministry and the Bibles that you're reaching out uh, to law enforcement all over North Carolina. God bless you for what you're doing for the cause of Christ. And what we do, it's not in vain in the Lord, is it? It's a work and labor of love. And uh, again, I'm honored. I'm nothing. It don't matter what my name is tonight. But I want you to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you know Him. And if you don't know Him, I highly recommend Him. But it is, a, it is a joy to be here, and I love this Bible. I'll not waste any more time. I love my Bible. I want to get right into that. Hebrews chapter 6. You find your place. If you'd like to stand while I read, I would appreciate that. Hebrews 6, beginning at verse 7, and reading down through verse number 12. I believe this is one of the most beautiful pulpits I've ever stood behind. You can't stand behind anything like this and not think about Nehemiah chapter 8 when the Bible said they built that pulpit of wood for the purpose and Ezra stood behind it and they said bring the book and the people of God stood while the man of God read the book of God. Aren't you thankful for the book tonight? Amen. Hebrews 6 beginning at verse 7. Please pray for us this evening. The Bible says, Hebrews 6 verse 7, For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected, and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. But beloved, we are persuaded better, better things of you, And things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward His name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. That ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience Inherit the promises. You may be seated. Thank you for standing while we read the Word of God to you this evening. Now let me say very quickly an introduction that I believe it is very possible that the penman, we know the author of all of Scripture, to be the Holy Spirit of an Almighty God. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. But it's very possible that Paul the Apostle is the penman of the letter. Now you could call this... An epistle, but really it's different than the other letters that, if it is Paul, it's different than the other letters that he did write. It's almost like a sermon. Paul just breaks out into preaching. 
From the book of Hebrews chapter 10 verse 34, did you know that this penman is in bonds? Did you know that Hebrews 13 verse 24 says that this penman is writing from Italy? And we know Rome to be the capital of Italy and we know that Paul was a prisoner in Rome before his earthly life ended. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 23 names Timothy. And we know that Timothy is one of Paul's co-laborers. And and Timothy assisted Paul while he was in Rome. The letters of Philippians and Colossians bears that out as well. Did you know this as well? And we know that the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter spent time together. There's a portion in the book of Acts where the Bible says that Paul spent 15 days in the home of the Apostle Peter. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, uh, the Apostle Peter is the apostle to the Jews and Paul is an apostle to the Gentiles even though Paul is a Hebrew. But we know he had such a love for the Jewish people. We know that according to Romans 9, 10 and 11, it was his heart's desire that Israel would be saved and Israel shall be saved one day after a while. And uh, But we know from 2 Peter three fifteen that Peter writing to the Jews alluded to the fact that the Apostle Paul had written unto them as well. So if I refer tonight to Paul being the penman, there's the reason why. Let me give you a quick overview of this book to help you understand kind of my thought this evening in Hebrews chapter number 6. If I give you a quick overview, the first six chapters of this book is the superiority of the person of Jesus Christ. Thirteen times in this letter, you'll find the word better. You would all agree, Jesus is better than all. This book of the Bible tells you He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the Levitical priesthood. Isn't that right? Jesus is better. The superiority of His person. Can I stop and say tonight, I'm glad I know who Jesus is. Jesus is God. The only begotten Son of God, full of grace and full of truth. The only manifestation of God in the flesh is in the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe there's only one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Can you imagine being there at Galilee when they said, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the seas Obey in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 15 Moses prophesied of the fact that God would raise up a prophet like unto me Moses said and he was talking about the God man the Lord Jesus Christ when you move from chapters 1 through 6 to chapters 7 through 10 you move into the superiority of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Let me say this, I believe 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus took his disciples out to the Mount of Olives and there he ascended into the heavens, a cloud receiving him out of their sight. Two men in white stood and said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, I believe that, don't you? This same Jesus, whom ye have seen received away, shall come again 
in like manner. Now, I want to tell you, he did not go to heaven to retire. Amen. He is presently at work at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is our great high priest. It is this book of the Bible that will tell you that he could not have served as high priest while upon this earth because he's not after the Arianic priesthood. He's not after the Levitical priesthood. He is after the order of Melchizedek. Isn't that right? So he sits presently right now and he ever liveth, the Bible said, to make intercession for the saints. There's not a priest like our great high priest who can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities and was tempted in all points like as we are, yet he is without sin. After those first 10 chapters, the last three chapters moves into the superior principle of faith. Why would you not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. He that cometh to God must believe. How do you go to heaven, preacher? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. He that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed. So there's the quick overview of the book. There's something else about this book that you need to know, and this will help you for the message tonight. There are warnings. Now, let me say this very quickly. In the book of Galatians, chapter number 3, the apostle Paul reminds us that we are now Christians, and we are in the body of Christ. I believe the moment that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe he baptizes you by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. We're now members of that body. There's many members, but there's only one body, and the Lord Jesus Christ is the head of that body. Now the Bible says in Galatians 3 uh, that in that body there is neither Jew nor Gentile. So if, if you hear me say tonight, Hebrew Christians, just know I mean this. They were Hebrews before they got saved, but now they are Christians just like you and I. So I believe this book of the Bible is addressing believers. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that we just don't believe Him for salvation, but now we believe Him in salvation. We have believed Him in conversion for salvation. Now we believe Him in continuation. We believe Him for victory. Isn't that right? It is in this book of the Bible, and by the way, Israel is not the church, and the church is not Israel. But in this book of the Bible, uh, uh, the, the apostle Paul uses Israel as an example and says they believed God to get them out of Egypt, but many of them didn't believe God to get them into Canaan. So can I tell you, Christian friend, do not stop believing the Lord. Are you with me this evening? And then butterflies that went away, praise the Lord. Amen. All right, there's, there's some warnings to believers that you need to know about in the book of Hebrews. Let's take our Bible very quickly and turn to chapter number 2. 
I'll not read any of these places for, for sake of time, but I want to show them to you quickly so that you'll see what I'm talking about. In chapter 2, verse 1, the first warning is found in the book of Hebrews to Christians. And this warning to Christians concerns neglecting God's Word. Let me read that verse to you. Uh, uh, Chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. So the first warning to believers in this book of the Bible concerns neglecting God's Word. And this will bring about a slipping, which means a drifting from God's Word. I want you to keep in mind that what we hold tonight, we are to earnestly contend for. At the the Jude, which I believe we're living in the days of Jude right now, prior to the rapture of the church, I believe that's the days that we're in, days of apostasy, and you would agree with that. Jude said, earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Aren't you glad you got a completed Bible? Amen. When that which is perfect is come, that which is apart shall be done away. And so the Word of God uh, uh, is that which we need not neglect. Don't neglect your daily Bible reading. In neglecting, you will slip. You will drift from the Word of God. Now look at chapter 3, verse 12. You'll find the second warning. This warning concerns disbelieving God's Word. I believe these warnings, Brother Trey, build on each other. You'll drift before you disbelieve. You'll neglect before you disbelieve. Uh, people that preacher, people that uh, preaching don't mean anything to them anymore, and it once did, uh, that just shows that they have neglected their time in the precious Word of God. So the second warning is chapter 3, verse 12. This warning, as I've said, concerns disbelieving God's Word. If you read that portion of Scripture, you'll find that this can bring a hardening to the life of a Christian and can rob us of present rest. There was a rest I enjoyed when I believed. There's a rest I'll enjoy when I get to glory. But if you believe God right now, Christian... There's a rest that you can enjoy right now. Turn to chapter 5 and look at verse 11, please. Chapter 5, verse 11. The third warning is found in the book of Hebrews to, to believers. And it concerns being dull of hearing to God's Word and not spiritually maturing from a babe in Christ to full age. Now, if you're a babe in Christ, praise the Lord. We're glad you got saved. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, but don't stop right there, that ye may grow thereby. Paul was preaching to a group of believers that he needed them to help him serve the Lord and teach the Word. But when he looked at them to teach... They needed somebody teach them again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. Turn to chapter 10, please. Best way to preach the Bible is use the Bible. Somebody say amen. Chapter 10, verse 29, please. Chapter 10, verse 29 is the fourth warning in the book of Hebrews. And it concerns the fact of despising the leadership of the Holy Spirit 
Spirit of God in the life of the believer. Now listen to me. The Bible says if you're out without the Spirit, you are none of His. I'm glad when you get saved, God moves in. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. And the Holy Spirit of God came to where I was and convicted me and showed me I was lost and without God. He didn't make me get saved, but He gave me the greatest invitation ever had in my life. I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and now I am quickened and made alive in Jesus. And you have be quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. Preacher, I know when I grieve him. I know when I despise his leadership. I know when I quench him. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And listen, when I do those things, I know I'm his because I know about the chastening hand of the Lord. Listen to me, Christian. If you've come to a place that you are despising his leadership, you drifted first. Then you begin to disbelieve. Then you got dull of hearing. Used to sit on the edge of your seat and listen to the man of God preach. But you don't even come to church half the time anymore. You've got dull of hearing and now you are despising the leadership of Almighty God. Oh my. None of this, listen closely, none of this is teaching a loss of salvation. Salvation is eternal. This is teaching, this is warning of the loss of joy and the loss of testimony and the loss of rest. I want you to notice something in chapter 6. Please go there. I'll be just as hurriedly as I can be. Thank you for listening so well this evening. And thank you for the liberty that there is to proclaim the book here at the Concord Baptist Church. I want you to notice in chapter 6, I want, I want you to understand something very important. I want you to understand the warning of the four warnings I've given you. I want you to understand the warning that precedes the verses I read tonight from this pulpit in chapter 6. I read chapter 6 beginning at verse 7, reading down through verse 12. The warning that precedes that block is chapter 5 verse 11 concerning being dull of hearing. Turn back to chapter 5, look at verse 10. I want to show you something, and I believe this is correctly said. I want you to notice, first of all, in chapter 5 and verse 10, that Paul speaks of the subject of Jesus Christ being called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Paul then, in verse 11, look at verse 11. Paul, in verse 11, speaks to the fact that he wants to say more about that very subject. Look what he says. Of whom we have many things to say. Paul wants to keep talking about that subject. And, And I believe as well that he addresses the fact that the subject is deeper truths. And they're not able right now, Brother Trey, to receive that. Notice this. In verse 11, Paul writes... Hard to be uttered. But then he says that these believers are not able to handle it right now. Now, watch this in your Bible. Because of that very truth, I believe that the Holy Spirit of God impresses Paul greatly to press a pause button, if you will. And I want to show you. The pause... 
Now he's getting ready to talk about Melchizedek. He doesn't start talking about Melchizedek again till the last verse of chapter 6. Look at it. The last verse of chapter 6, he brings Melchizedek back up. And then in chapter 7, he goes into great detail about Melchizedek. So in this warning that is given concerning dullness of hearing, they're not able to receive that instruction yet about Melchizedek. So the Holy Spirit requires a pause. Preacher, I wonder how many times that we've been studying during the week. And you ought to thank God for the man of God that you got that digs in the Word of God to feed you. Always thank God for a man of God that will invest in the Word of God to feed the people of God. We are not lords over you. We are to feed the flock of God. Paul the Apostle said, we are not lords. We're overseers. We take the oversight. We're the under-shepherd, if you will. But our charge is to feed the flock of God. Not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. There's so much investment that has to be made on the part of the man of God. You ought to thank God. It's you got a preacher that don't wait to Saturday night to try to find a message to feed the flock at Concord Baptist Church. Amen. Oh, I appreciate Bible preaching and Bible teaching, don't you? Amen. I wonder, preacher, how many times we've been studying during the week and the Lord's wanted to take us deeper. He's wanted to take our congregations farther and deeper. But the Holy Ghost has required a pause and said, no, we can't go there right now because they've not heard what I've already said. May we not be guilty of being dull of hearing. We talk about the world not wanting to listen. I'll tell you something, sometimes that attitude creeps into our local assemblies. May we be ready to hear. Oh, to every church in the book of the Revelation, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now this pause, and it'd be too much to talk about in one service, but this pause entails a whole lot of stuff. Paul says some of the strongest things that he's ever preached anywhere in all the letters that God has had him to write. But uh, for what the Lord's laid on my heart for this evening... And I can't cover all the verses I read today. But I want to show you an overview of verses 7 through 12 of chapter 6. Go there with me quickly. And keep your place marked in 1 Corinthians 3. Are you with the preacher? Say amen. Keep your place marked in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First of all, I want to say that I believe the next thing on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. We are not looking for signs, we're listening for sounds. We are awaiting the resurrection of the just. That which was a mystery under the Old Testament prophets that the Apostle Paul revealed to us in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. We are looking for Jesus to return for the church. I believe at the resurrection of the just, we will go to the judgment seat of Christ. I believe that the wicked dead, later after the thousand-year reign of Christ, will stand at the great white throne judgment. 
But the judgment seat of Christ is for believers. Paul mentions it in Romans 14.10, also 2 Corinthians 5.10. I believe that Paul as well alludes to it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Turn there with me now. Find verse 9. Find verse 9. In 1 Corinthians 3.9, addressing the church, Paul writes, For ye are, for we are laborers together with God. Notice these next two phrases. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. At the end of verse 10, stay right there a moment. At the end of verse 10 of this chapter, Paul writes, Let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. It is this chapter that says no other foundation can be laid than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I still believe Jesus, when he said, Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against. He that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I'll liken him unto a man that built his house upon the rock. Amen. Amen. So the foundation is Jesus. But we are to take heed how we build upon that great foundation. Verse 9, I'm still in 1 Corinthians 3. Verse 9 as well is not only likening us unto God's building but it's also likening us unto God's field. Do you see that? Look at the word husbandry in 1 Corinthians 3, 9. That, that, now we're in the country, this is not foreign to us. Husbandry means a cultivated field. That Greek word for husbandry occurs nowhere else in the King James New Testament. But in the etymology of that word, and all etymology means is the study of that word to see where that came from. Nineteen times in the New Testament, we are given the noun husbandman. That means the tiller of the soil. That means the land worker. That means the vine dresser. We would say that's the farmer. Jesus used that word in John 15 and verse number 1. When he said, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Are you still with me? So it would be correctly said how we believe God and how we walk in that conviction. And that subject is faith. Faith, that's the conviction I live in. That's what I walk in. The truth of God. There is no other truth, only the truth of God. Thank God my life is based on that. Amen. So how I believe God in that and how I walk in that conviction day after day depends on how fruitful my field will be and how strong my building will be. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 6. Notice first of all, verses 7 and 8. And like I said, I don't have time to go through it in detail. I'm just trying to give you what the Lord impressed upon my heart. But to notice in verse 7 and 8, I see two different fields. I don't want to be like the field of verse number 8. 
I want to be like the field of verse number 7. Notice the bringing forth of herbs in verse number 7. Oh, let me give you a definition I looked up before I left for church. That good field mentioned in verse number 7 bringeth forth herbs. The definition of an herb, any plant with leaves, seeds, or flowers used for flavoring, food, medicine, or perfume. Herbs are examples of things like mint, basil, and oregano, and sage, and rosemary, and parsley and lemongrass and cilantro. I don't know what all them things are, but I know what a few of them is. I like to, I like to grill and barbecue at the house. And when it rolls around Thanksgiving Day, I usually take a big turkey and, and I, I soak it for about 30 some hours. And then I rub rosemary and thyme and basil and everything else. And that aromatic smell, boy, I tell you what, that's, uh, it beautifies things around the house. It makes things Smell real good, amen. Boy, I want to live such a life for the Lord that it'll, it'll give out a, a pleasant odor to this world to let them know. Can you imagine that lady that broke the alabaster box and, and then she wiped the Lord's uh, uh, feet with her hair? And, and oh, Can you imagine that smell being on her for days to come? And people ask her, why you smell so good? And she'll say, boy, I've spent time with the one that means more to me than anybody else. I want to tell you something, friend. That field of verse number seven gives a lovely smell. But verse number eight, the bearing of thorns and briars. In verse number seven, go back there quickly with me. Oh, there's so much I want to tell you. In verse number seven, the phrase, by whom it is dressed. That right there speaks to the responsibility of the tillage of the ground for, who it belong, from, for, for whom it belongs. That reminds me of the parable of the soils in Matthew 13. Now, I, I keep, try my best to keep everything in, in, in dispensations, and I know that Matthew 13 is a kingdom of heaven parable, along with the others mentioned there, and I know that speaks of millennial days. But with this about the soils, I can't help but think about the wayside ground and the stony ground and the thorny ground, and the good ground. The condition of each ground was described. The importance of tillage is for the success of the seed. A lot of you farmers back when it was cold weather, and you knew the ground was going to freeze again and bust, you made sure you took that big plow and put it behind the tractor. Run it and turn that big turning plow, turn them big clods over, and now coming springtime, you begin to run a hole through that. You run your hand through that. It won't be big old clods, but it'll be good ground. You know why? Because you want the seed to have much success. Isn't that right? Our Lord preached in Luke 8 and verse 11. The seed is the Word of God. I want you to consider with me for a moment those that God has used down through the years not only to bring seed to my field, but also to bring water to my field. 
Turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In the same chapter, Paul addresses the same subject. Verse 5, verse 6, and verse number 7. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers, that's the word servants, by whom you believe. Even as the Lord gave to every man, I have planted, Paul said, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. That word increase there means the growth of that which lives. And you know as well as I do, there is life in the seed. Jesus told a parable one day over in the Gospel of Mark. Mark records it. And it talks about the one that goes out and broadcasts the seed. And after he's broadcast, he goes back home and he lays down and he rises and he lays down and he rises. And all he knows is this, he was faithful to sow the seed. But he doesn't fully understand and comprehend the power that is in that seed. Isn't it something how you can take one kernel of corn and get many years of corn? Only God can do that, isn't that right? The power is in the seed. So in 1 Corinthians 3, 7, Paul writes, So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Thank God for the people that God used in my life to bring seed to my field and bring water. There's a responsibility on the part of every believer to keep our field prepared for the seed. You know what that means? Somebody say amen. That means work. That means work. Go back to Hebrews 6. Look at verse 10, please. For God is not unrighteous to forget your what? Your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward His name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Now, if you, if you don't hear anything else, you've got to hear what I'm getting ready to tell you. In verse number 10, I want you to underscore the word showed. S-H-E-W-E-D. That same Greek word occurs in verse number 11. Notice what verse 11 says, And we desire that every one of you do what? Show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Now this is important. That word show or showed in the Greek language is defined as a display. It's like a signpost on the side of the road. Now, do we not drive by fields and buildings? And they all individually display a testimony. Isn't that right? I drove by a whole lot of fields and buildings on my way to church tonight. And every one of them displays a testimony. My life, your life, is likened unto a what? A field. Because we're God's husbandry. My life and your life as a believer is likened unto God's building. And we couldn't be on a better foundation. Do you know if my building's not right tonight, I can't even blame the storm. But I can blame me. But I can't blame the storm. Because the same, listen, the same storm in Matthew 7 that came to the foolish man's house came to the wise man's house. And when the storm had passed and the dust had settled, his house stood firm on the rock. 
I can never blame the foundation. But I sure can blame me. Isn't that right? Now, we constantly give testimony to others. Did you know that there's a whole lot of people you'll never know that's looking and listening at you? You ought to get a hold of that right there. There's people you'll never have a conversation with, but they've listened to you say a whole lot. And they've watched you do a whole lot. Look at verse 11 and verse 12 of our text. Verse 11 and 12 of our text says that our display will be one of two things. It will either be diligence. Notice that the word diligence is spoken of in verse 11. Or our testimony will be slothfulness. The word slothful is spoken of in verse number 12. Did you know, don't we have a wonderful book? Did you know that there are examples all throughout Scripture of fields and buildings giving testimony? Jot down these references. Proverbs 24. Let's talk about Proverbs 24 for a minute. Proverbs 24, verse 30, 31, and 32. Listen closely. Solomon said, I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was was all grown over with thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof. And the stone wall thereof was broken down. Listen. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Let me tell you what Solomon Let me tell you what Solomon did. When he saw that field, God smote his own heart. If you look up the word instruction in Proverbs 24, 32, it's a word of correction and it's a word of chastening. Solomon said, as I looked at the slothful man's field, God instructed me about my own field. Oh my. He dealt with me about what I was doing with my building when I looked at the slothful man's building. I got you another reference. Proverbs 20, verse 4. The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg and harvest and have nothing. What does that teach? That teaches that he neglected his field, and it testifies truly to his foolish actions. He don't have to say a word. His field has displayed his testimony. You may hide your testimony for a while, but you'll not hide it forever. Luke 14, 28. Luke 14, 28. Our Lord is addressing the subject of a building. As looking at this text today, preacher, Jesus is preaching on true discipleship in Luke 14, 28. You know what being a disciple is? It's being disciplined. It's where we get the word discipline from. We are His disciples. We are His students. We are His learners. We are His pupils. He is our master. By the way, He's my Lord, but He's also my master. Isn't that right? 
In this block of Scripture, he talks about taking up our cross and following him. The will that God has for my life, he wants me to do that. Take up my cross and follow him daily. In this block of Scripture as well, here's what he says about a building. For which of you intending to build a tower? Sitteth not down first and counteth the cost whether he have sufficient to finish it. Lest happily, that means peradventure, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock it. Saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. And I'm talking about what we display to others. Remember that. It is in reality the truth of ourselves, is it not? And it truly is a testimony to others just how much faith we have. That's right. It's a testimony to others just how much I have believed the Lord. Amen. One last verse. Go back to 1 Corinthians 3. And I'm done. First Corinthians three thirteen. Every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it. The seven spirits of God that's mentioned in Revelation chapter four about the throne of God, which I believe could be alluding to Isaiah chapter eleven, verse number one. Our work for the Lord. Not going to the judgment seat to get, see if I get into heaven or not. I'm going to the judgment seat to give an account of my service. My sin judgment's passed. John 12, 31, when I appropriated what He did for me at the cross and the tomb. Thank God He justified me and I got that way one way by faith. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But my service is going to be tried by fire. What we've done for the Lord, the motive that we've done it in, it'll be tried by fire and it'll either be found as wood, hay, and stubble or as gold, silver, and precious stones. In 1 Corinthians 3.13, notice the word sort. Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. That word sort means quality. Quality. It do us all good tonight to evaluate our display. There's a whole lot of people that's looked at my field today. What about you? There's a whole lot of people that's looked at my building today. What about you? We couldn't have a better Lord. We couldn't have a better husbandman. We couldn't have a better foundation. So who needs the help tonight to make sure that field and that building is what it needs? I need the help. Oh Lord, I want to be what you want me to be. Here's the words I want to hear, Brother Colton. Well done! Thou good and faithful servant. We've not just believed Him for salvation. We believe Him now for victory. Let's stand to our feet all over the house. I'm going to pray. Preacher, you come. Heavenly Father.
Thank you for deliverance in the message. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your word. May we respond to the word tonight, believing what you've told us in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.